What's up, listeners, and welcome back to The Greatest Show. For those of you tuning in for the first time ever, welcome, and we are so glad that you are here. This is a show that focuses on animals, specifically the treatment they undergo throughout their unchosen lives. In the past, we have discussed prison and war dogs, bulls in the rodeo, and breeding puppies. But this week, we have a much larger issue at hand. We are not necessarily focusing on a specific animal this week, but the animal as a whole within the entertainment industry. The sacrifice of these animals is at the expense of money. The industry is and has always been financially driven. So with that said, we are going to dive deeper into what this looks like. We will hear about the history of the circus and dramatic changes that have recently been implemented into the circus regulations. Then we have a special guest with us here who I'm so excited to introduce to you guys as well as who will answer some tough questions about the film industry. After, we will look into the zoos. Are they good? Are they bad? The world may never know, but all of these questions will be answered here and today. So as a little girl, my grandparents loved to take my sister and I to the circus. To this day, we have numerous plastic elephant mugs that we never failed to drink out of when visiting them. For both my sister and I, the circus was a magical escape with beloved memories of my grandparents. Since the beginning, a show was created by captivating the audience with things that no one else could really do. Today, a circus is a name for a traveling group of performers, typically consisting of trapeze acts, acrobats, musicians, stunt artists, and exotic animals. The origin of the circus is still up for debate among historians but thought to derive from ancient Rome. The modern circus was created by former cavalry surgeon major turned showman named Philip Astley in England in 1768. Originally starting as a one-man horse show, the viewers were not pleased nor entertained. As a result, Astley hired acrobats and other forms of entertainment for the spectator's pleasure. The American circus was different from other leading performances due to the fact that the country was still newly developed, so a show could not stand solely on one location. Come 1825, the first circus entrepreneur named Joshua Petty Brown created the iconic light canvas circus tent. This was a major difference than European circuses at this time. The Europe circus was run by performers and their families, whereas in America, Phineas Taylor Barnum, otherwise known as P.T. Barnum, a famous museum promoter, changed the circus to add a museum of striking animals and human oddities to be part of the show. As glamorous animals joined the show, so did their travel necessities. The American entrepreneur named William Cameron Coop created the circus trains which carried animals and other acts for the circus by train throughout America. With that said, by forcing wild animals to be on tour with a circus, animals are constrained to captivity. In the book, Are Wild Animals Suited for Traveling Circus Life? by C.D. Salisbury and S. Harris, the author states, The animals are confined to beast wagons. When traveling and for a certain period of time after arriving at a location, beast wagons are transport containers that are typically small enough to be carried on a long trailer. By straining wild animals into cages that are way too small for them, it creates a neglective environment. 
The animals demanded to stay within the confines of a cage the duration of its time with the circus and never able to live the life of a wild animal. Another form of abuse of wild animals endure while being a part of a traveling show is a lack of social interaction. With the lack of social interaction between live animals, it affects the animal's behavior, welfare, and reproduction ability stated by the same authors. Circus often exchange animals with its like institutions or obtain adults rather than breeding them in-house. This is especially true with animals difficult to breed in captivity, such as African and Asian elephants. This represents that reproduction is a key role in a species, and by not allowing animals to breed, it leaves negative effects on the future of reproduction. While traveling, the animal's welfare is at risk. There is just a few forms of abuse a circus animal must endure during the life of a circus. Luckily, in recent years, this has changed in order to mitigate the number of neglected animals in a circus. In 2015, the Ringling Bros and Barnum and & Bailey stated they would end live elephant performances by 2017. They did it by 2016. The use of live animals in circus performances has diminished greatly in the past few years and still continues. The focus on the circus show is now primarily on the exotic abilities of humans. So now I want to transition into the film industry. First and foremost, I want to introduce the term human gaze to you guys. The human gaze is truly what makes the film industry abuse its animals. Stated in the article, Animals on Film, The Ethics of the Human Gaze by Randy Malamud, film and other electronic image media project the human psyche. They hold and promulgate modern human values, agendas, and norms. Films are dreams and reality makers. This is the human gaze, you guys. The way the film industry looks at animals is less than human, but as a proper object. The proper object is malleable on camera and positioned in such a way to fit the script. When working with live animals, this is much more difficult, yet producers still see these live animals through the human gaze as if it's possible. Hey Delaney, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here with me to talk more about the culture of animals within the film industry. How are you feeling? Hi everyone. Allie, thank you so much for having me here to use your platform to speak about this topic. You know, this topic is definitely underlooked and under-discussed because we as humans try not to look or ask for questions about these things. I think you are so right. We are scared to know the truth and frankly... We don't want to know the truth because there are some great movies with animals, but I think we have to, right? How can we not at this point? What makes us better than an animal? That is such an interesting point you brought up. Humans like myself forget what a wild animal is. Look at Curious George, for example, one of the most famous movies and books and series. George the monkey is acting and treated like a little boy. He goes to the zoo, he goes around town, and rides on the shoulders of his owner. Yet he is a monkey. How crazy. It wouldn't be absolutely ridiculous to see this in real life, yet we don't blink twice when seeing it in a movie. Yes, I completely agree. There are numerous examples of this throughout film. How would you say this blends into the human gaze? Great question, Allie. And you know, this might be a little bit of a mouthful. Well, I'll help you get through it. 
Well, you know, within the film industry, we notice that animals are seen as visual culture, often disguised in some ways. You know, they can be costumed, they can be masked or distorted or even disfigured. Mockery of animals is another common trope, as seen as discontextualization. This means displacing animals from their natural habitats, contexts, and lives, and reconfiguring them as players in a purely anthropocentric narrative. Wow, that is a big word. Anthropocentric narrative. I know. This is a very interesting perspective. So major companies that rely mainly on animals like Disney and Pixar, are commonly exploiting those animals, whether it be cartoons or live animals, correct? Absolutely. I think that cartoon animal movies, which don't get me wrong, I love, and find them very entertaining. But they push filmmakers to the next step, and they make them ask the question, you know, why would these even be more captivating? What in the movie industry would create such a captivating film? What could this animal do to be humanized, if even more? Right, right. But then that pushes them into live recreations of the film, correct? Absolutely. I mean, look at Lion King or Jungle Book. It's crazy. I was actually undercover on a set one time, and I cannot disclose the movie for legal reasons, obviously. But what I found was horrific. My goal was under was going undercover is to ensure that film producers are enforcing the ethnic codes in place when dealing with these live animals. I found that most animals were being whipped in small cages and kept in inhumane conditions. Can you believe that? Absolutely not. This is distinguished (laughs) for most of these animals being shortly after birth when they're being separated from their mothers and denied the maternal care that they need for normal development. Can you imagine being a mother and being taken away from your own child? I can't even imagine being a mother. (laughs) (sighs) Oh, man. That was fun. Yeah, that was good. And especially by the the physical and psychological distress, I couldn't even imagine that. Back on track with the animals. Going back, once the animal is no longer seen as profitable, can you believe that they're just thrown away? That reminds me of Forky in Toy Story 4. Pure trash. Exactly. Essentially, that's just not okay and absolutely disheartening. Really pulling on the heart threads there. Wow, so this is more typically done with wild animals, right? So then what about the domesticated animals? Yes, that was typically within wild animals, but more domesticated animals. Pigs were suffering without adequate veterinary care. Cats were virtually starved. Sorry, I just couldn't get over the fact that cats were virtually starved for days and that dogs were kept indoors in concrete kennels without bedding, even though temperatures dropped into the low 40s at night. Large corporations like Netflix, Disney, AMC, and the U.S. Productions also got in trouble for the care of animals, specifically stacking dog kennels on top of each other in a garage. Wow, so this is all information that is not commonly told to the public, obviously. The abuse within the animal community is absolutely crazy to me. Delaney, thank you so much for spending your day here and discussing the hard truth of animals in the film industry. I know this is a hard career you are in, but it takes people like you to make a change. Of course. Thank you for allowing me to be here to use your platform to inform the public of this topic.
Thanks again. So clearly, animals in the film industry are being abused, but there's one more field of entertainment I would like to close out this episode with, and that is the beloved zoo. Although it is unknown when the first zoo came to be, it is thought that it came with the hope to domesticate wild animals. We do know that throughout history, specific animals have been held in captivity for prolonged periods of time all around the world. However, bringing multiple species into one facility was a new form of entertainment. Come the mid-19th century, modern zoos were opening up all over the world to the general public. After World War II, there was a shift in modern zoos. Zoos were no longer for research and study, but for entertainment and commercial gain. The purpose and function of a zoo was for zoological research, otherwise known as a study of animals. With some zoos lacking this purpose, there are some that seem to do very well with research and conservation of indigenous species. In recent years, a few zoos have intensified their efforts frequently in cooperation with educational authorities to provide an educational program for children and students. After World War II, many zoos began to become breeding centers for endangered animals. Through these efforts, many endangered wild species have been saved. Over the years, some zoos have become more famous and well-known for their courageous efforts of saving and researching animals. As glamorous as some zoos may seem, there is still a large amount of neglect and abuse that these precious animals endure on a daily basis. For starters, many zoos are open for entertainment for their visitors and not the true intent of a zoo, which is animal research. By having a zoo focus on the consumer, they are putting in funding to refreshment stands, gift shops, and landscaping in order to draw the visitor in rather than focusing on care and coverage of the wild animals. Many zoos also claim to be educating its viewers when on average a person only spends no more than three minutes at each exhibit, giving not nearly enough time to learn about the animal. On top of that, the information provided is the most basic kind of information, such as the species, diet, and native land. The care and facility for these animals are at risk as well. Animals' normal behavior is seldom discussed much less observed because their natural needs are rarely met. Birds' wings may be clipped so that they cannot fly. Aquatic animals often go without adequate, adequate water. And many animals who naturally live in large herds or family groups are kept alone or at most in pairs. Natural hunting and mating behaviors are virtually eliminated by regulated feeding and breeding regimens. Animals are closely confined, lack of privacy, and have no opportunity for mental stimulation or physical exercise. These conditions are often results in abnormal and self-destructive behavior known as zoocosis. Animals are enduring unjust care because they were the unlucky ones to be captured or born into this sort of lifestyle. Animals should only be captivated for aid and research, not for the public's amusement. All right, listeners, thank you so much for sticking around to learn about the abuse of animals within the entertainment industry. I know this was a hard topic to dissect, but it had to be done on a public platform. You know the drill. I will see you next week when we talk about animals as mascots. (laughs) 